Welcome, everybody. Uh, I am Professor Jay Bhattacharya. This is the Illusion of Consensus podcast. And today I am absolutely delighted to have with me Jessica Rose, uh, Dr. Jessica Rose, who is a molecular biologist and professional surfer who has been quite active analyzing the vaccine uh, during the pandemic, specifically the, the mRNA vaccines during the pandemic, as well as side effect profiles. I invited Jessica to the platform today to discuss a new nature paper that has just come out that I think is quite important. And it has to do specifically with the technology that, of the vaccine that was awarded a Nobel Prize, uh, a, a technology that modifies the, the mRNA of the vaccine so that it, so that, so that it can produce uh, the spike protein or whatever it is coded for in the body without the body going crazy, attacking it, or, or getting rid of it too quickly. Jessica, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for agreeing to join. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm tickled pink to be here. It's been, uh, this is the first time we're meeting, actually. So finally, after years. <laughs> well, it's, it's been, it's been, uh, it's fun. It's been fun watching you. It's one of the great, of the few good things about the pandemic is getting to meet lots of people that otherwise would never have had a chance to meet. Couldn't agree more. So Jessica, your your background is so interesting. Um, so you have a you have a, a a PhD in computational biology that precedes the pandemic, obviously. Um, you you uh, you did a you did a postdoc in molecular biology. Uh, you know you've been all over the world. Uh, Memorial University in Newfoundland, Bar Ilan, Weizmann Institute, Hebrew University. You've been all over the place. Um, and it's not just molecular biology, right? It's you've you've studied um, immunology, applied mathematics. Is that was that what, what was that? When was that from? That's correct. Um, yeah. So I I have I have a pretty interesting academic past. Um, I uh, I went to university straight out of high school, and I actually wanted to be a biologist. I wanted to be a vet. Uh, I, well, I wanted to be a lot of things, but. Um, I was aiming my my sights at being a vet, and therefore biology would be a great background. Um, but it turned out that they didn't have enough room in the faculty of biology for me. So I, you know, I had to do something. I had to declare major. So I was like, well, I, I like math a lot, and it comes easily to me. So I ended up doing an, an applied math degree. And yeah, it took me a long time because I was working uh, pretty much full time. Um, a lot of people ask me, how come it took you so long to get your undergrad degree? And it's like, well, you know, I was young and stupid and working and, and that, um, that was wonderful. I, I actually learned a lot about viruses and, uh, modeling, like applied mathematics is, is basically learning how to use mathematical models to solve biological problems. So I went to my dad when I was finished that and I was like, what do I do with this degree? Like, I actually want to take the applied mathematics and apply it. And he's like, well, what are you interested in the most? I'm like, viruses. I, this is a weird thing about me. I've always been into viruses. And um, so he just said, why don't you just write a few emails to some potential uh, principal investigators at the university, at the med school, and see what happens. So I actually wrote a proposal, a research proposal, Um Basically, I wanted to combine the mathematics with some kind of lab work. So the I've had a lot of good luck in my academic trajectory. The 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 first person I 
I wanted to work with was in an HIV lab. And he, he was very excited because he just happened to have a data set that he wanted someone with a mathematics background to look at. And he had a project. So I did this HIV immunopathogenesis thing where, so I did a master's in immunology, which was the hardest thing I've ever done. And that, um, that led me to my PhD where I met my advisor at a, uh, a conference in Cleveland, Ohio, of all the the lead mathematical modelers of HIV and and bad viruses in the world. It was so exciting. And <laughs> so, so I mean, so, like yeah. it's, it's I mean, you were like an ideal background. I, mean, I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, if anyone who stuck their neck neck up and said, oh, "Well, I'm, I don't know about this or I don't know about that," the first question you'd get is, "Well, are you an immunologist? Are you a?" Uh, are you, uh, do, do you do, do you do math and bio? Uh, do you do, uh, you know, mathematical epidemiology? Do you, do you have any of this background? You have the, an ideal background, it sounds like for this, uh, for this kind of work. Yeah, I even have, I have a postdoc in biochemistry and molecular biology. So it's really weird because the claim to fame for me, I guess, in all of this is data analytics, which is, it's not really something I've, I've focused on, but it's been a necessary part of what I've done my whole life. And another part of what I've done my whole life is have to present data from my my projects and experiments. So um, I like doing it. I, I, I went through a hard time when I went through school. The journal clubs just about killed me, but it made me real good at uh, you know, getting through a peer-reviewed journal and presenting it to other people in an interesting way. So um, I started looking at this pharmacovigilance database, this VAERS system, and it all kind of blew up from there. I, I don't even know how it started. It's like I saw you that every were, you were invited to go give testimony in uh, like the Romanian Parliament, if I understand. Also, like the U.S. Senate. Um, actually, yeah, the I, I, sent me said that you weren't allowed to come. You're Canadian. I, I, I got and uh, that, that should be clear from the accent. Um, <laughs> you weren't allowed into the, the United States because you had chosen not to be vaccinated. That's right. So if you're not a U.S. citizen and you weren't injected for a very long time, you weren't allowed to enter the U.S. So I had had two personal invitations from Senator Johnson to give testimony at these Senate hearings. And I was I was pretty mad that I wasn't able to go because I, I, I had something, you know, it's, it's not about um, I wanted to go. It's like I actually feel like I had really important information that was unique to impart. So it's like it's a shame. Um, and it's not the kind of thing you can do by Zoom. But I actually have given uh, like testimony in the form of a PowerPoint presentation in Brussels, in Bucharest, and also in Zagreb. So all it, it's, on, on your COVID work. Yeah, it's basically all, half theirs and half um, these new findings about this residual DNA. I mean, this, this is a pretty hot topic. I mean, we have so many new hot topics lately. It's hard. It's really hard to keep up with how many, um, how many messes we're finding ourselves in with regard to these, especially the modified mRNA products. Um, yeah, we had that, uh, I had a nice podcast with uh, our, our common friend, Kevin McKernan, where we discussed the uh, DNA, the, the 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 contamination of, of the mRNA, especially the Fi- specifically the Pfizer vaccine, with this uh, with this DNA plasmids um, that were used to manufacture the the uh, the product. Uh, so I think uh, I mean it's it's it is really an amazing kind of regulatory failure 
that the 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 you know agencies like the US FDA that are supposed to guarantee that these products ha have some kind of fidelities or do, do not have any kind of contamination um fail to find it uh, so I want to let's let's come. I, I invited you on because I specifically there was a new paper in Nature that was very interesting, and it's along these lines. It's it's it struck me as something that the regulatory bodies should have been aware of even before this new paper in Nature came out. Um, and uh, I I want to uh, just talk about what the what the finding is and what what it matters for regular people that that took the vaccine. Uh, and to do that, I want to make sure we get the, get the science right, um, and that's why that's why I asked you on. Um, so we, we let, let let's talk this through. So, um, all right. So let me let me let me start the story, and then I'll I'll have you have you like tell tell me as soon as I get into deep water. All right. Um, all right. Um, so <laughs> uh, 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 mRNA, you have you have you have DNA, which is this double stranded thing. Um, it, it it translate it's uh, it it's transcribed into mRNA, which is the single stranded thing. Usually, the the letters that make up DNA are A, T, G, and C. Mm -hmm. Right, those are the bases, the the pairs of bases that make up DNA. The transcription into mRNA is four letters, not A, T, G, and C, but A, U, G, and C. We're going to focus today mainly on this U. Which is uh, which is the, uh, the 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 replacement for the 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 T letter the T base in DNA. Uh, so in um, normal mRNA, then messenger RNA, um, you have four letters, and the way that our bodies work, they each code for one protein. All right, so four times four times four, that's 64 letters. And there's what, 20 proteins? 20 amino acids. Or two, yeah. 20, I'm sorry, proteins, 20 amino acids. Um, 20 amino acids. So 64 possible codes for sequences of three for 20. That means you have multiple codes coding for the same amino acid. Yeah, this, the, the genetic code is degenerate. So it's like there are, it's not a one-to-one you have uh, possible 64 different codons that you can use, including stop and start codons. And stop uh, codons. so just to, just to stop you there. So we, that means right. um, a, a, a three base sequence that tells the your your body that, look, this we're done making this protein. Mm -hmm. you, you, the, 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 the amino acids are piled on top of each other, one after the other. That's what a protein is. Um, and when when the mRNA says... You know, here's a sequence of three that that translates to a stop. Let's stop making this protein. We're done with it. Right. So there's no um, the 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 stop codon doesn't have an anticode in it. Has like a signal, or it's it has um, uh, it gets a signal to stop when it sees a certain codon. So there are three of these, uh, the potential stops, and there's one start codon. So this is always um, attached to a methionine, which is one of the amino acids. So whenever you see an, an AUG or a methionine, you know that it's the, the beginning of the, um, the translation. So yeah, the, the amino acids as translation occurs, which come from 
these transfer RNAs, we should back up the bus though, because just to talk about like the context of RNA in, in with these shots, but um, anyway, the, the amino acids are bonded by peptide bonds as translation is occurring and they exit the ribosome and they can fold. So, you know, we can get into that a little with more detail. Right. So, it's... right. The, po the point is that the mRNA, our body takes mRNA, um, either produced in the nucleus by the DNA, the tra transcription right. process, or in this case, by an injection from outside this uh, this uh, modified mRNA sequence. Yeah, um, it's in vitro produced modified mRNA that's exogenous, which means it comes from outside. So... Yeah, they're very different, and that's one. Well, well, that's what we're going to get to that. Well, I promise. But I was yeah. wanted to get the background <laughs> right. Um, so I think I think the key the key thing then is that our, the vaccines what they do is not just simply have antigens that our body reacts to and and trains our immune system. The the mRNA vaccines also turn our cells into little factories that produce the antigens to begin with. Precisely. So just, and the antigens are just like sequences of proteins. I'm sorry, sequences of amino acids. I keep doing the mistake. That's sequences right. Of amino They're, acids. All those peptides, the shorter yeah. sequence, the, the fragments of, um, of proteins are AKA otherwise known as peptides. So they're just short chains of amino acids strung together by peptide bonds. And the, so, nature, yeah, of these the, the nature of these peptides that are, that are coded by the, the vaccine, um, they're, they're from little snippets of the virus itself this is the spike protein yeah so right. the the coding material that's injected into people we were told is the coding material this the template for the spike protein so it's modified in specific ways there's also like two proline substitutions such that when the spike protein is translated and it's meant to be translated completely it um it it folds into a prefusion confirmation, which makes it much more stable. And I think I heard a rumor once that it means that it can't bind to ACE two, but I'm not so sure about that. Well, so hold it's on, hold on, back up, Jessica. So so just just so what you're saying then is that the the mRNA product, the you know Pfizer Moderna product, um, it they, it has a it's it's not quite the spike protein. It's not the whole spike protein. There's parts of it, and it's as it's designed, it's supposed to fold in a way so that it doesn't, uh, when you say the ACE, ACE2 receptor, that's like how it, the virus enters our body, right? So it doesn't, it doesn't like interact with the ACE2 receptors in the same way. All it does is induce an immune response. That's the design, yes. That's what it's supposed to do, right? Yes. Um, and so the, the folding then is really quite important. Yes, of the proteins, so proteins are not just like lines. They 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 oh. they're chemical chemically active pro, uh, uh, molecules, and the the it's really important how they fold because that's how they interact with various structures in our body, receptors and so on. That's right. Yeah, they have tertiary structures and they also have quaternary structures. And you're absolutely right. Folding is really important. Um, has to do with like assuming a lowest energy state. Um, but whatever, it's. If you have improperly or misfolded proteins and or you have misfolded RNA, <laughs> this is also a thing, uh, you can have a whole lot of problems um, pathologically. 
Um, At the very so, yeah. least, they may not be doing the job they're supposed to be doing if exactly. this is folded wrong, right? I mean, if you, the the way that it interacts with our immune system depends in part on the folding of the protein, yep. um, mm -hmm. right? So it's it's a, it's not like a trivial thing. And of course, you know, proteins are three dimensional. Uh, objects. They're not just, we, when we, you look at it in textbooks, it's just a, 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 a string of letters, P, R, R, whatever. Um, but it's not actually just a string of letters. It's actually a three-dimensional structure. No. So if, if, if I may, uh, and I get into like the translation process, hopefully I can, I can put a visual into everybody's heads. Um, so the string that you're talking about it's, I, I always think of it kind of like a string of pearls with different colors. So each of those pearls is going to be an amino acid. And it's, it's actually a really nice visual when you're thinking about translation itself. So translation occurs via a machine called a ribosome, which is part and parcel in our cells. Um, and this design, this lipid nanoparticle modified mRNA platform, it, it hijacks this machinery, which conventional vaccines don't do. So this is a brand new thing. Right, it's turns our body into a factory. Like, that's which, right. Yeah. A protein factory, foreign protein factory, which is, uh, yeah, it comes with a lot of problems when you look deeper into it. So you have um, instead, like you said, this natural or native mRNA uh, coming from the nucleus, making its way to a ribosome to be translated into native proteins. Um, you have this modified mRNA that's introduced to the cell via the Trojan horse that is the lipid nanoparticle in massive quantities. So if you're lucky, or or by let, let me just say by design, this modified mRNA makes its way to a ribosome. And by the way, it's modified such that it can evade immune detection and maintain its stability. So it's stable. Well, we're gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna get to that part of the story, I promise. But just, okay. just hold, hold, hold your horses on that, but just keep going on the on the on what, what normal, right. by so, design was supposed to happen. Right. So it makes its way to a ribosome and it it's the ribosome reads this mRNA, this modified mRNA. And the first thing it has to do, this ribosome has to do, is find a start codon. So it's looking for this codon which is a triplet of bases like that is three base pairs like we talked about earlier there's 64 yeah. of them four four letters each three four times four times four 64 possible that's right sort of so it's a-u-g all the time it's it's really cool and it makes me wonder if we're not living in a simulation and it's not all computer program because it's really weird so it's a-u-g <laughs> and the way that it works there, there are these little U, slots. U, U stands for uridine right that's right Okay. That's right. So um, it's adenine. Uh, well, it's it's actually adenine, uracil, and... Uracil, uh, uracil. I always get that backwards. Uracil, uracil. Right. So um, what happens is uh, the, the, the ribosome, and I've never been inside a ribosome, so I'm just describing what I've learned from books and papers. So they have these three slots. Um, and the ribos as the ribosome commences translation, this codon, this start codon, has a uh, nobody can see me now. I guess I'm holding up three fingers to represent the three bases. 
So each of these guys has an anticodon, which is the, you know, the opposite base pair, which is attached to a, the amino acid itself. So the way that the translation actually occurs is via this, this thing called a transfer RNA, which contains the anticodon and also is held, holding on to the amino acid that's going to be um, translated, basically. So, so you okay, have to... so just anticodon, what that means then is uh, you have the mRNA says AUG, adenine, or uh, uh, yeah, ad adenine, yep. uracil, guanine, Uridine, right? So yep. AUG. Um, yep. And now you uh, have in the cytoplasm another uh, another transfer RNA. And That's all right. it has is, it doesn't have AUG, it has the thing that attaches to AUG. So... Which It'll would be, be... <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the, the, a, the a, a, a will attach to the uracil. Yes, right. Right. So yeah, the a, a right. Um, the uh, that would the 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 um, uh, U will attach to the to A to adenine, yeah. and then G will attach to C cytosine. That's right. right. These are so called. That, Lots that will be the three. So that's that's the the opposite, and that's so that you have a, you have some transfer RNA floating around, have attached to the, with that specific sequence, and have that has a specific amino acid attached to it, and it finds that's its right. way into the ribosome, attaches to that three base pair sequence in the mRNA. So this is how I visualize it, and this this is a really important point for later when we talk about codon optimization. So. I, you know, there are ribosomes all over in the cell and there's mRNAs. There's all sorts of junk. The cell's full of stuff. And there's also, I think of it as a, like a cloud. I call it the transfer RNA cloud. And the concentrations of each of the, tar the tRNAs, the tranas, <laughs> the tRNAs uh, with specific amino acids attached to them are different. So there are... Um, within a certain, let's just call it a, a three-dimensional space around the ribosome, you're going to have a bunch of these tRNAs with carrying amino acids all over the place. And there's even going to be competition. There's going to be like sampling, you know, the merchandise, because nothing is just how they say in textbooks like next. Dark, 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 no, it has to it has to find the specific yeah. tRNA that matters, and you know, like yeah. what there's like there's a lot of different tRNA up to well, it's right. not going to be sixty four tRNAs, because, but the, but there there's a lot actually there will be might be sixty four different kinds of tRNA in principle. The, there's there, there, codons I think that don't don't attach right, but right. So the, there's there's a cloud, and there's going to be a concentration of tRNAs in this cloud. So I'll I'll get to that in a second, but um, so basically, the as the um, I'm I'm trying to put a visual in everyone's head. So imagine your your middle slot of your three slots in your ribosome is occupied by your methionine. You have your anticodon um, pairing. You have your methionine sticking out there, and then the next codon. So methionine, these that's a, that is a, that's an amino acid that's attached that's to the right. tRNA, right? So these codons are always read in threes. And this is where you, you have to understand because that's, you have to understand this to understand what a frame shift is. So these codons are threes, they're triplets of bases and they're read that way. So your triplet 
now that it's occupied with your anti-codon attached to your methionine, moves to the next slot. And the next codon, you know, that's in the line of the mRNA comes along and, and it's red. It's, it's, there's a it, complex bunch of stuff going on and enzymatic. The point is that it, it is, it's the next stuff means like the next set of three letters in the mRNA sequence are brought in. And then the next tRNA, uh, your transfer RNA that has the, the next amino acid is supposed to, supposed to be put in the next, in the sequence of the, of the protein um, or, you know, or peptide are, are, is brought right there. Attaches. That's right. And it's the only one that will attach because it's the only three. And so it's, you get you get the first three, and then that's gone. It's done. Then the next three, and then it's gone. It's done. Three at a time. The entire yeah, until the entire mRNA is under, red. Yeah, for ease of understanding, let's just say it's it's like that easy. It's not. There there's wobble base pairing, but I, mean, I don't want to. Talking with molecular biologists, we always get. I mean, I'm I'm just a fringe epidemiologist myself, so it's just we have to we have a very simple understanding of these things. But I think it's, no, it's, it's great it's, because it, it it's like all this superfluous stuff. It, it just confuses everything anyway the, the basics but, but are... functionally though the point is that it, it it's not supposed to read the first three a second time it's not supposed to read like you have a u g it's not supposed to read that g a second oh that's done man next in yep. line exactly. <laughs> <Shifto bueno. laughs> yeah so it, it's actually it's all a part of a complex mechanism and once that methionine uh meets the next amino acid attached to the next transfer rna a peptide bond forms. And as these things get bumped out of the assembly line, you know, a chain of these amino acids forms. And eventually, you're going to have that chain exiting the ribosome while translation is going on. And this is really important to visualize. So you have your little uh, burger. I, I always call ribosomes burgers because they look like they burgers. look like burgers to me. I remember from my molecular <laughs> algae class. Sure. <laughs> They really do. By the way, um, when when we post this or when you post it, uh, you need to post it with a link to this uh, um, video visual, which shows translation so beautifully. I mean, it's so gorgeous. These animators, what they're doing inside the cell now. So, um, so this burger is doing this translation. This and mRNA is being... a protein, so it's kind of appropriate yeah. to be a burger with the middle. In exactly. The middle very good. Okay, I didn't I even make that connection. <laughs> That's right. Okay. That's funny. So, so if everything's going well, you've you've injected uh, this modified mRNA thing. It has a sequence for the 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 uh, the part of the spike protein that we think is going to produce a good immune response. So you, when you meet COVID, uh, the, the the next time you'll remember how to you you will have trained your immune immune system to do it. But you you produce this pro you, the, the the key thing is you produce this protein. Yes, and it's antigenic. It's going to stimulate the immune response because it's foreign. Right. Um, oh, can we can we talk about the wobble? Because I think that is kind of important. It's like, what what can go wrong in this process? Like, why uh, is, I'm just, gonna, is, is, is it just like it's the, it's not just like programming computer where if I type in you know uh, go to this line number and a code uh, is going to go to that line number. It, 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 if I it's not going to just like you know if I if I in a computer I can type in uh, a thing and say if if A, then do B, and it'll check. If A is right, then it'll do B. It's basically going to get it right every single time. Yeah, um, so it's not like that. So it doesn't, as far as I understand, this is new to me, there's the Watson-Crick pairing, which is the, the C, the G, the A, the U, or the A, the T in DNA. So wobble-base pairing, this is when you have um, 
uh, a chance to base pair with something else based on the codon itself. So as I understand it, the, the first two bases, this is why I said it's not like, you know, it, it, it's it's not as simple as we imagine it. There's a lot of complexity. So two out of the three bases can pair with two of two of the anti-codons. You, and then, and then now, okay. Yeah, and then this guy. The third one. Might be bubbly, G. and it might bind with one or the other. And if you're catching what I'm saying about the anti-codons, that might actually bring a different amino acid in, or it might bring a stop codon in, or, you know, something, something else might, uh, might be brought in according to what this base actually ends up I mean, bringing. That, that's, and that's, a, that's, that's not, um, it sometimes happens in, in our bodies just endogenously, right? Yes, it's, absolutely. It's like a... Yes. Yeah. Um, that's a really good point. And, and another good point is that, um, the, there are two guys that this happens with, or two two guys that can base pair with more than just one other base pair, which defies the Watson Crick, which is inosine and pseudouridine. So we're going to hear, we're going to talk about. Okay, pseudo- we're, we're still we're getting to, we're actually now now is a really good time to introduce that right. So and if we can finally are are at a point where I think we can talk about the paper that was just published in Nature, uh, in, sort of it constructively, right? So, um. The the mRNA product that is that that's that's that's, that's used by Pfizer and Moderna this 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 um this product it doesn't have the standard A U C G lettering. It, it it replaces U the uracil with something else, right? This 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 N one methyl pseudouridine. Yeah. Okay, what is what? First of all, what is so you no longer have A U C G. You have A, the pseudouridine, C and G. Those are now the four letters of the modified RNA product that we that you know many many so many people got as a vaccine, right? So what what is what is that? What is what is this letter? This this N one methyl pseudouridine. What is what is that letter? Can you can you explain that to the audience? Yeah, it's a, it's a chemically modified version of. Your pseudouridine, which is a chemically modified version of uridine. So there are 4,284 bases in the sequence of the spike protein produced for the, the that is the BNT162B2 product. That's the Pfizer spike code. And what's really important for everyone to understand is that they didn't swap out a percentage and I'm sure they did research on this and they checked different percentages of swap outs of uridines to N1-methyl pseudouridines. Do you mean, you, you mean uracils for, for, or you mean uridines? Uridines, okay. Yeah. So they, they swapped out uridines for N1-methyl pseudouridines, 100% of them. So there are 801 in this sequence. So this poses a problem in an in vivo setting because we don't know the impact of doing that in a word. If you swapped out 10% of the uridines for N1-methyl pseudouridine in this code, it, it would not have the same impact as swapping out 100% of them. We don't know what the difference would be 
unless we we did that study. And that's why I said I'm I'm not sure that they didn't do these studies, but I'm also not sure why on earth they would have decided to swap out all of these uridines for N1-methyl pseudouridines. Okay, now, so no, wait, hold on. So just just to back up, we, we just we when we talked about uh, regular mRNA that our body produces, um, uracil is the is the is the is what's put in as the letter. That's the U. Yeah, that's the letter. Right, uridine. That's that's a modification. That's a modified version of uracil already. That's not normally in mRNA that our body produces. Just a sec. I'm, I'm trying to find my article so I can. So I, I've written a sub stack that actually explains all of this. I saw like this. It, that's, why I, that's why I asked you. Yeah, no, it, it, was, it was a project, man. So, oh. um, yeah, uracil is the base. Right. So a chemically, uh, uridine is the glycosylated form of uracil. So basically all that means is that it has sugar attached to it. Yeah. So it's uracil with sugar. You right. call it your. Um, when you chemically modify this uridine further, you can get pseudouridine. So there's there's you know there's this thing called pseudouridylase, <laughs> or or pseudouridine synthase, and it catalyzes this reaction, and it flips something, and it causes uh, the pseudouridine. I want I want to like focus on what what. Like the, the the key thing here is that the the modified RNA product that you that, that you know that Pfizer and Moderna made, mm-hmm. they they have they've taken out the uracil, replaced it not every, not every single place in the sequence, but in in some sub, subset of the sequence. That's what I understand you to say. In um, all positions of uracil, they've substituted in every single one. Every, Every single, one. single one, 801 sites, an okay. N1-methyl pseudouridine, which is a chemically modified version of, of uridine, pseudouridine. And okay. there are, that's a, there's a big um, difference uh, between pseudouridine and N1-methyl pseudouridine, according to my literature review, when it comes to base pairing. So pseudouridine is... Um, it can bind to A, G, C, or it can bind to all of them. It's kind of um, so. Uh, it's like that wobble you said earlier. Exactly. Um, yeah. Exactly. It's not. It's not just in the in the third. It's can be. It could be anywhere. The, the, exactly. Pseudouridine could be literally N one methyl pseudouridine could be anywhere. Um, yeah. And so you and it wait. So it binds to any of them. So normally, N one methyl pseudouridine not the case. It it apparently from what I've read, and I'm not sure that this is true or how strict the rule is, but apparently it behaves just like uridine, which means it binds adenine. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if it's like faithful to that. I don't even know if they actually used N1-methyl pseudo-use and not pseudo-use. Nobody does because we don't really know. Okay, but, so the point, the point is that uh, it's supposed to just bind the, like the N1 methyl uridine actually used is only supposed to bind to adenine, just like uracil does in the regular, you know, run of the bill endogenous D, uh, mRNA. According right? so, to the literature, but yeah, okay. So then, so then, if that's if that's true, if, if it's working as designed, the proteins are going to be exactly as as they you want them to be, right? They're going to they're going to be the sequence that you want 
to introduce into the body? If so, so what what can go wrong? Um, well, if we want to dig right into this um, nature paper that you mentioned, just so people know, I'm going to read the title for you so you can go find it. Um, it's N1-methopseudouridylation of mRNA causes plus one ribosomal frame shifting. Uh, it was published on December 6th, so it's really new. Um, and I'll, I'll get... That's a mouthful of a paper for a title, but it's, that is, I saw that title and I thought, this is a very, very important paper. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it, it, uh, if I'm understanding correctly, and you please, Jessica, let, you, you're the expert. Um, if I'm understanding correctly, it, even though that the, the match can happen right, it's always going to, the pseudouridine is going to match A, you can you can cause the the frame of the of the the, the read of the of the mRNA product to move. Yes. And what is what's that going to do? Uh, that can cause aberrant protein production. Aberrant so, protein. So it, you won't produce the protein you're intending to produce. That's right. We call these off-target and on-target proteins. So in in the case of frame shifting, in this context you are getting off-target protein production, which means that you're not getting the intended, I don't like that word, uh, spike protein being produced. You get something completely different. So that's what the paper is all about. It's a brilliant paper. And just to, to go back to the difference between the pseudo-U and the N1-methyl pseudo-U and a prediction that Kevin McKernan made in a, an, in a preprint that he wrote with Peter McCullough and another author whose name is eluding me right now, sorry. Um, they, they wrote a paper called uh, Differences in Vaccine and SARS-CoV-2 Replication De Derived mRNA Implications for Cell Biology and Future Disease, where, quote, this is written, pseudouridine is also known to create ribosomal frame shifts, and it's unclear if M1-methylpseudouridine will exhibit similar properties. Now, how telling, how timely is that? He wrote that paper last year or two, a year and a half ago, if I'm yeah. right. So he, so he predicted that this right. might, uh, might happen in, with N1 pseudo, uh, pseudouridine. That's right. Based on the fact that it can N1 happen with pseudouridine. So that's exactly, precisely with beautiful experiments, what this nature paper shows is the answer to his question it's not unclear anymore whether or not M1 methyl pseudo U will exhibit ribosomal frame shifting. It's okay, been so shown. I, just to, I mean, that's that's a stunning kind of result. I, I completely agree with you. This is a very, very important paper. But just to just to like explore some of the implications of it, right? So you have this sequence. You know, normally read three letters at a time. You know, starting with AUG and then moving on. Um, mm -hmm. uh, it's supposed to stop at some point. Does the stop codon sometimes have the the uh, the U letter? Oh yeah, all three yeah. of them. the The stop codons are uh, U UAA, UAG, and UGA. So it's going to be N one methyl AA, N one methyl AG, and N one methyl GA. Okay, so now you have a frame shift problem, which is that. Now it's not, you don't read the first three letters, then the next three letters, the next three letters. You you read, maybe you read, 
you know, three and then you skip? To, you right. Skip so let's one? let's talk about why that might happen. So and, and I really want to mention codon optimization here because um, it's not mentioned in this paper, but it plays such a significant role in what they're saying the cause of the frame shift is, which is ribosomal pausing. So that's exactly what it sounds like. You have your burger and it's reading your mRNA and then it pauses. Now this happens in nature. Um, it happens because it's waiting for a rare codon like that it, that in that brings an arginine in in humans, for example. This is normal. It's important. I don't know how this works. I'm not sure anybody does, but it knows based on certain signals that, oh, I have to wait now. The transfer RNA holding the arginine is like not as frequently occurring as the leucine or whatever. So we got to put on a pause here. Um, so that it's a naturally occurring thing. But if you have a pause that's induced for another reason, let's just say, for example, you have a kink in your mRNA that's being fed into the ribosome, that's going to induce a pause that's a little bit unpredicted and maybe a little bit too long for the ribosome to know what to do with. And that's exactly what happens is that it, it goes and it shifts which is what we call a frame shift. So I mean, it's like I, I'm, I'm I'm old enough, Jessica. So I remember remember vinyl records. Yeah, it would just occasionally like there'd be a scratch nice. and it would just jump. And yeah, like, very nice, very nice. Yeah, I'm all about that. That's a beautiful analogy. If if you guys don't know what we're talking about, like vinyl <laughs> records have grooves in them, and you run a needle on it, and it makes a sound through a horn. <laughs> or a speaker and so yeah the it, the needle's kind of floating in in this groove on the surface of this vinyl and sometimes if you if you bump into it or something or if there's like a a little you know notch it'll, in it'll the jump so like you won't hear the full song you'll skip now of course for a song it's not that big a deal you so you skip a you know a, a second or two of the whatever the the the, the you know the, the part of the song there is but for for frame shift for a pro for the production of a protein the peptide it can be a big deal, right? You're you're not going to you you could end up with like if that if the frame shift happens early enough in the production of the of the peptide, the entire peptide could be completely different than what was intended. That's right. And what's probably gonna happen is that you're gonna skip out on your stop codon. And as you mentioned already, stopping the protein production is really important because you know there's supposed to be a certain number of residues long, and they have to be that length and have those, those amino acids such that they can fold properly, which is really important. So if you, if you get a run on read or translation without your stop where it's meant to be, you're going to get these long proteins and they're going to be like, well, I don't know what to do now. <laughs> and they're probably not going to fold properly. And you're, you know, you, you can end up with serious problems. And not only that, if you shift, like, okay, so you guys, I hope that you're visualizing now your codons, these sets of three. So basically what you're going to just imagine this, you have a three, 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 three. So you have 12. So when you frame shift, let's just say you go uh, plus one frame shift. So you, you bump one into the next codon, but your ribosome's going to still read that as the first in the next series of three 
And that's definitely, well, well, not definitely, but probably going to encode a, a different, different. It's going to be a different amino acid. And then the next acid. one will be next exactly. a different amino acid in the next one. And then what's going to happen? You, you have a very strange protein. Exactly. A potentially um, aberrant, like okay, danger. So now, um, the, the paper goes out of its way to say that we don't know that it's producing that it's doing this frame shift problem very frequently. In fact, they don't really estimate the frequency of the frame shift problem. They also go, say that um, the proteins that are produced, these aberrant proteins are probably just destroyed and without any without any consequence. Which is true, however. Right, so people shouldn't like automatically think, okay, this is automatically going to be terrible. In principle. That's right. It's a good, that's a very good point. Exactly. Because if you have, um, I mean, yeah, they're foreign. So you do have the issue of the immune, immune reaction and what that's going to be. And we have to talk about molecular mimicry and autoimmunity um, in this little segment. But um, most of these are just going to be like chewed up. Enzymes are going to come along. De pro these proteins are going to be degraded and they're going to be like filtered out. They're, they're probably not going to be a problem at all. Um, but one of the things that that I always come back to is the fact that the, we're, we're dealing with such high quantities here. The, the, the massive amount of, of nucleotide stuff that's being dumped, and now we know it's not just modified mRNA, there's DNA in there too, um, into the cell and the... If this modified mRNA is being translated the way that it's meant to be, there's a lot of protein being churned out there in that cell. It's a lot. So it's it comes down to kind of a numbers game in my mind. It's like, is this does the cell have the capacity before it just says, ah, I can't do this anymore, and apoptosis or gets the signal to? Um does it cell, have the cell die. Like it, it kills the cell because it uh, it's, it's, it kills itself, right? So it, it yeah, dies. it's like a self destruct signal. Right. Every cell has this. Um. So you know, may, may every cell has the all the capacities that it needs to balance the equation. Whatever whatever it is, double stranded DNA repair needs to be done. You know, um, foreign proteins are being made. You know, it has ways to deal with these things. But if it gets overwhelmed and say these proteins start, you know, or even if the cell um, starts, you know, it, 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 it gets destroyed and it, these proteins are released. I mean, I don't know. It's it, a number of uh, things can go wrong. And you definitely are going to have some kind of immunological reaction to these guys. I mean, that's that's the entire design yeah. of this platform. <laughs> right. Introduce so, so just just so, so the point is then, is that you've produced proteins that you didn't intend. That's right. You produced an immune response you didn't intend. Yeah. Think about that. And okay, so maybe it's okay maybe it's not we don't with it, it no it's definitely not okay from uh well, i mean they I mean, didn't like, tell like, us like, that like, like clinically right so well <laughs> yeah. that's that that's from a regulatory point of view i don't know that's okay but that but from like clinically it's not necessarily going to produce i mean it may just be like this one-off thing because it's not every single uh 
every single uh, translation event is going to produce this frame shift problem. Maybe that's right. That's right. And and you may have very different. Uh, you know, you may end up with very uh, different. Different. It's not like millions of copies of one bad protein. It, it's it could be you know only a few copies. In which case, it's, it's likely that's not going to be a big deal. But we don't know that. Yeah, you want to hear an interesting twist. Um, so sure. we have on-target proteins being produced mostly and off-target proteins being produced like 8% of the time or something, if, if this is happening according to the way the authors outline. Now, um, I haven't figured out, and nobody has, if it's preferable or even if you can talk about it that way to have on-target proteins being produced or off-target. Maybe it's better to have off-target proteins produced, and I'll tell you why. Um, there are a couple of publications out now that show there's a very strong likelihood for there being amyloidogenic peptides in the spike protein. So amyloidogenic peptides are going to produce amyloids. They're, it's going to be pathogenic. Uh, and amyloid, it could amyloid, that's, So that's like the proteins that are in, um, in your brain that cause, that's associated with dementia. Right. So okay. amyloids are these really tough proteins that they're not broken down. Like once once you have pr production of amyloids, basically they just get bigger and bigger. They they can't break down. They can make normal clotting very bad. Like the there there's a, there's another study to cut myself off that shows that um the ARDS from flu, the clots that are formed in this setting are much less dense than the clots that are formed in the context of the SARS virus. So I think that's that might have something to do with this, but it has yet to be I mean, shown. The, the, the thing about this is like this is this is not something that's known known for certain, but these are things things that people are theorizing about to try to that's explain right. why we see some of the kinds of side effects some, that we sometimes see. Like you know, like the I I do I work on the epidemiological clinical side, and I've seen, um, for instance, the FD, the FDA did a report suggesting. That there were uh, uh, like an increase in strokes in young in older people yeah. um, mm -hmm. it wasn't a huge signal, but it was it was a signal, right? And that but that would exp that that's consistent with the kinds of of uh, mechanisms that we that you're you're talking about here. That's right, and it's really going to depend on its location, location, location. I mean, we're 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 injecting massive amounts of lipid nanoparticles that encase massive amounts of, of nucleotides. So depending on where transfection occurs, depending on how fast and where it, it locates to, because we know that these things go everywhere in the body, all they have to do is hitch a ride in the bloodstream and they can go anywhere. So it's really going to depend, but it's interesting that we're seeing a lot of microclotting. So to me, it's it's an, an indicator that we're getting transfection of the the smooth cells in the lining of the blood vessels so just just to, just to be clear we don't we don't know for certain that this this the thing we've been talking about the the frame shift problem is the cause of any of this we don't we don't we don't know no, what i'm saying is that it would be it would be the the proteins that are on target that are meant to be produced that would be causing this pathology so what i'm saying is uh, it might actually better to have off target proteins. <laughs> i see i see i see your point, what i'm right. saying so, so if the if the if the spike protein that's intended has this pathology, then if you have a frame shift mutation that produces a harmless protein, that's that's a good thing is what you're saying. 
Well, it might, might even prevent you from getting the amyloids being produced. Who knows, right? We we need yeah. to do this work. Okay, and we're so, kind of- so, I mean, uh, this is I mean, this is a remarkable thing. Um, the the point I want to I want to like I wanted to hit here is that um, this was predictable that the the N one methyl pseudouridine potentially could produce this frame shift problem, could produce yeah. unintended proteins. Uh, at the yeah. very least, you can say is that it it makes it impossible to know the dose the dosing that you're getting because these are random events that's right they said eight percent of the time but it doesn't have to be eight you you nope. you, would, you would inject inject this uh this uh, you know mrna product and then all of a sudden you don't know how much antigen is being produced that's right we uh, never knew either so it, it's really it's like we, I didn't mention the word slippery sequence yet, but this is allegedly why we're seeing the frame shifting according to this nature paper. So there are these um, uh, sequences called slippery sequences, which is, is like three U's, three A's, and I don't know, it's it's like a bunch of um, nuclear or bases strung in a line, which makes it just easier for slippage. We, ca- we call it slippage or skipping to occur. So th- this is what the N1-methyl pseudo-use are, are helping to happen. So it, it very much was predictable. I mean, Kevin did. And um, so this is the role that they're playing. So one of the things that they say in the paper is that, oh, well, we can just use uh, codon optimization to, to remove the slippery sequences, and then there won't be a problem anymore. And it's like, no, 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 no. We still have a problem, Houston, because of the codon optimization of the sequence in the first place. And let me tell you something else. So codon optimization, for people who don't know, is basically um, swapping out codons that a specific species readily uses to get optimal protein production in that species. So if you're talking about... So like just just to... Clarify. This is go back to what we said started with. Three letters, sixty-four possible co- codes, twenty amino acids. You might have multiple codes for a single amino acid, and some humans might you, you know we, we we humans might have a different preference for one set of three letters than another for the same amino acid. That's right. Right. Exactly. So arginine has six, I think, and and I think humans like CGGs of these six. So that's exactly right. So humans like they, we have a set of uh, codons that we we pre- let let's just put it in layman's terms. We we prefer to use as a as a species, and um, so I have the, an evolutionary biology teacher that would just you know yell at you for that, but you know. Yeah, I know. I'm yelling at myself all the time. <laughs> no, <laughs> so, it, 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 it's really clear what you mean. Good. Oh, good. Um, so yeah, the the spike protein was codon optimized for optimal protein production because that was the goal to use the host cell machinery to make as much protein, as much spike protein as possible with high fidelity, which means. Um, Stick stick to the plan, Stan. Stick to the mRNA plan. So the thing that happened, and this is another kind of like, hmm, moment. Like, didn't they know this? And didn't they check this? And didn't they understand the implications? So Stephanie Seneff et al. 
published a paper where you can read about this. Um, it's about um, increased content of guanines and cytosines. So when you, when they codon optimized these messenger RNAs, they increased the GC, we'll call it GC content, a lot. So I think it's like at least 25% in each, the Moderna and the Pfizer products. It's a little bit more in the in one of them. And that's a lot. And the thing about increasing GC content is that there are a lot of implications, which I, I prefer to, de de to defer to the paper. But I can tell you that one of the the implications and complications with doing this, which is well known in the codon optimization world, because you don't normally codon optimize to make proteins in humans. You usually do it to make proteins in cells, cell lines. So this causes, and this is published in the literature, um, changes in mRNA structure itself. So remember I was telling you how the, the mRNA is being, you know, read by the ribosome. It can only do that if the mRNA is in a string, if it's like linear. If there's a kink, if there's a st structure or like a hairpin or something in that mRNA, let's just call it a kink, um, that can induce pardon me, ribosoming, ribosomal pausing, just as I said. Like, imagine you have a string and you tie a knot in it and you're trying to pull it through uh, a pinhole that's smaller than the knot is large. If if you, you know what I mean? It's You're going to have to tug on that and eventually you'll probably get it through or it'll unkink, but it's going to it's going to pause what, what the, the pulling of the string through the machine. So what does that induce? It induces frame shifting. Yeah. So this this is in the, your if you, in your shoelace and you try to pull it through the little hole. And exactly. We'll get through, but it's just gonna it's gonna take a you know it, longer. Yeah. Right. So this is usually reserved in nature for waiting for like rare amino acids, for example, and it, it's done by design. But this this isn't by if you you get what I'm saying, right? You're you're inducing a change. In the, in the content of the bases in this mRNA such that it's causing problems in, in the host. So, yeah, and it also, this is going to, this is another really important point about co-translational folding. So as your string of amino acids is being bound together and your mRNA is being read into the ribosome, there's like an, an, an entry hole and an exit hole. And your, as your um, your string of amino acids, your pearls is coming out of this machine. It's already starting to fold. And another important thing about translational velocity is that sometimes the folding is in charge. So it's like, no, wait, now I have to um, I have to get into this confirmation. So you guys are going to have to wait on your translation for a bit. So it's it's this very very complex and fine tuned machinery. Right. So it's not if just, it's not, it's just I mean, as you're, as you're saying this, this is, it's fascinating because it's. I mean, one of the implications is that it's not simply just well, we want this sequence. Let's program it up with the the N one um, N one methyl pseudouridine and and then just inject it, and then we'll have that sequence in the body. 
there's a lot to think about. Yeah. To understand <laughs> what's going to be produced, what what the what the errors might be. There's a lot. It's not just how like it's going to affect protein folding, which is very important. So right. exactly. So I want to. Uh, so we're we're headed on on more than an hour. I want I want to I want to oh like. My gosh. Uh, I know we've been. I think we've done really well. This has been fascinating. Yeah. I've learned so much from talking to you, Jessica. I'm, I'm grateful to you. But I want to I want to end this um, uh, podcast by talking about uh, the, the use of the mRNA platform for other things. For other, because this is, I think, in part, the main reason why uh, a lot of people were attracted to using the mRNA platform to begin with was this idea of the mRNA platform as a way to just code the protein you want, code the peptide you want, peptide you want, inject it, and then with high fidelity produce the that 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 protein or the peptide in to do whatever it is that you wanted to do. Right, uh, it might be replace some uh, defective protein for someone with a genetic disorder. It might be uh, that would be a, gene therapy. Gene that would be gene therapy. It might be induce a, a uh, induce a, 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 a immune reaction uh, that vaccinates you against a certain could, uh, pathogen. Uh, you know, may, not just COVID could be any any pathogen principle, um, or it could be uh, used for a, a whole host of other things that are potentially are good. All you have to do is just program it up. You, you know the sequence you want, you put it into the sequence, you can code and optimize as, as much as you like, but there's nothing nothing complicated about it. It's just going to produce the protein you want in the place you want and will have the impact that you think is, is good to have. Right? That was so, the, I think that was the romance of the idea of the mRNA platform. Yeah, I like that you use the word romance because it's like, I, I was just going to say, it's almost like the people designing this and who believe that think that the pictures like in, in books like this with the, with the schematics of like, uh, where, where's a good one? Like this represents, you know, everything that's going on in, in just, just so the listeners can see that's, that's a picture of. Oh, sorry. This, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> with the, like the, the ribosome producing the, the protein. Yep. Okay. Yeah. It's like, it, it's not a schematic. It's <laughs> nature the the way that it's designed, the way that it's evolved to be, is not simple. It's a dynamic, complex, beautiful, ebb and flowing system, um, full of machines. Uh, and I find it like the the hubris behind thinking that oh well, we have the platform, we just have to swap out the ingredient, the the coding material. It's it's, it's incredible. Like a, and people are thinking, talking about it as if it were we're just software. We're changing the software. We have a hardware platform. We're just changing the software and we'll do whatever we want, as if it were an analogy to a computer. But as you say, Jessica, the human body is not simply just a computer. No, it's not, not at just. All. I mean, although we analogize it to this, this you know, this the, there is a programming aspect of it. We talked about it in this way with the letters A C G U or whatever. But that, but that's that is only the very beginning of it. It's going to be a very complex process linking those letters to the thing that we that that, that the body wants or we want, and there can yeah, be errors. There can be problems. That make you and, and a lot of unpredictable things can potentially happen. Exactly. As as we've described here, I mean, the number, uh, this is all coming out after billions of people were injected with this stuff. And the thing that shocks me about this is that people like me have been like 
waving two hands in the air, full tilt for years about what's coming out in the pharmacovigilance databases, which is very, very clear signals that comprise safety signals for a multitude of adverse events like myocarditis, neurological issues, everybody knows about it, even death. So the platform itself, you know, this modified mRNA insertion into the human cells, it might be possible with the the swap out to the pseudouridines. I I mean, who knows? We don't even know if we, the studies for, I want to say two things. The lipid nanoparticle that encases this modified mRNA is necessary to get that modified mRNA in, according to what we've been told. That may or may not be true because of these modifications. They make the mRNA very stable and durable. Now, I, I dare say we really do need the Trojan horse that is the lipid nanoparticle still, but um, no study has been done to date after all of this stuff that we've seen and been through and all the peer-reviewed publications coming out to show the the effects of injecting the lipid nanoparticles alone, like empty, no nucleotides inside. And I think this is a really important study to do because I think that the lipid nanoparticles themselves bring a lot of problems regarding hemagglutination, for example. So, we that is a whole nother podcast. Just oh, it is. Yeah. next time, yeah. So, but I want so, but I want I want to just, just sort of tie the bow on this one. Sure. Christmas, <laughs> exactly right before Christmas. You have um, this this platform. You want to you want to code a different protein. So let's say you want to use it for some other thing. You you put the same you put you put in a different sequence than this than for, than for the spike peptides of the spike protein, um, whatever it is, but you're going to have the same problems. You're going to have N1 pseudo, uh, methyl pseudouridine in there. It will still have that same frame shift problem. So you will still have to know whether the proteins that you're actually produced are actually going to be the ones you intended. You have to know whether the, 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 the proteins that are, that end up being produced accidentally aren't harmful to humans. That's right. You have to know, and from a regulatory point of view, this is like quite important, right? You want to, you want to, you want some certainty that it's not producing side effects that 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 that, uh, that are harmful to people. Precisely because you're injecting healthy people who who probably well, not necessarily. Have- I mean, like let's say let's say we use it for cancer, right? But it's it's not. But the point is that you want, from a regulatory point of view, which you're trying to guarantee. That the that the drug company that's making the drug or the product or the vaccine or whatever it is, is actually delivering the thing that they're saying they're delivering. That's right. And the point of this frame shift problem caused by that, that was identified by this Nature paper is that every single other product made with this mRNA platform is going to have the same problem where they can't that's quite right. guarantee it. That's there needs right. to be a, then a regulatory process to try to. Uh, Force the drug companies to show that it's uh, that it's not doing this at, at high rates, or that if it is doing it, it's not producing damaging proteins. Before the regulators can say yes to it, hundred percent. And that's that's years long studies like that, and that that a hundred percent that needs to be done. I think a moratorium needs to be placed on the platform before anything else is done, 
And we need to we need to solve the DNA issue that Kevin is has brought up to the world. I mean, that was for um, the Pfizer. This seems like even more fundamental, although the, that that was quite important. I mean, that yeah. that principle you could change by changing the process by which you produce the mRNA product. Um, well, actually, not to not to end on a another question mark, but that also has to do with the N one methyl pseudouridine. That the reason why we have the DNA contamination is likely because of uh, during the synth the modified mRNA synthesis during the in vitro transcription step, um, it's not. It's I think personally that hybrids were formed DNA uh, RNA hybrids, and one of the things about pseudouridines and N one methyl pseudouridines is that. They have high melting temperatures. So once they base pair, they're sticky. You can think of it like that. They're really hard to take apart. You need a high temperature to take these guys apart. So if mRNAs and DNAs were hybrid hybridizing, and that's how they got carried along to the lipid nanoparticle and injected into people, then the problem is there in the in vitro system, in the synthesis. Become, I mean, you could you could imagine the the um the uh, plasmids they're they're all over the place and the the, the formation of the lipid in the in the in the soup that's used to produce the mrna product um they they you can very easily imagine it's slipping in you you know, with multiple mechanisms i imagine right um okay so we should we should let the listeners go but this was um but but i just want to end with i i guess just a, just a few bottom lines uh and questions in my my own mind about this uh, and then, and then implications. I'd see what what you think. One is that one is that we, um, this is this finding is really quite an important finding about the possibility of frame shifts. Um, I don't know that it causes uh, causes clinical harm, and as you say, it might even be a clinical benefit in this context. Um, who knows? Um, but this is something that the regulators should have asked the the drug companies. That were using this technology to address before they approved it for for scale, you know, for people to use at scale, billions of people, as you said. Um, second, I think that this is this may be the death knell of the the platform itself. It's going to be very difficult to argue that it's just a software platform where you can change. You ha- it's I'm not saying for certain. I mean, in principle, you could imagine drug companies producing. Um, advances or or data that convince people that it's it's safe uh, in, in even right. despite this problem, but it's going to be a much more complicated thing than the, than they actually had to the, the what they had to do to convince drug companies originally that it was a safe platform. Yeah, they can try to convince everyone. Sorry, I interrupted you. Oh no, no, sorry. Go ahead, Jessica. I was just going to say that the the solution in the nature papers that we're we're going to use codon optimization to remove the slippery sequences so we won't have the frame shifting but I'm calling vs on that because I think frame shifting is going to occur anyway because of what I told you about the codon optimization and the kinking of the the mRNA changing the mRNA structure so I mean, at the very least you have to you have to address you have to you can't just assume that it's going to and, and you know like and the diff, depending on what the peptide or the protein you're trying to produce Codon optimization that may not be possible, or at least complete, completely possible in the way. Like because every single peptide sequence has a different set of codons, um, all the way across. So, you, so I don't, I don't, I don't. I think this is one of these things where, like, 
I, I want to see clinical evidence. It's, I don't just want to see theoretical molecular biological evidence. I want to see clinical evidence produced by the drug companies before the regulators say, yes, we should allow this to be used at scale. Um, and so I think those are, those, are, those are my two takeaways. I mean, I don't, I don't want to panic people. I don't know that, that this automatically made things are, are the cause of the, of, of whatever side effects may or may not have happened. As, as we said, it may have actually made things better. Who knows? Um, but it's certainly something that seems to me it was irresponsible for regulators not to ask the Pfizer and Moderna to, to, to resolve before they approved it for the use in so many people. Yeah. Just one more point before we go, because I, I mentioned molecular mimicry and autoimmunity. So this is actually one of the more probable outcomes of the production of off-target proteins. So, and this is what they showed in the paper, that there were T-cell responses being made against these foreign, uh, I'm sorry, these um, these off-target proteins. So if, like, what that shows is that there is an immunological reaction to them of this acquired type. And the danger there, not, you know, maybe it's, it's a little bit much, but... Um, I'll, I'll just leave it at this. Um, the danger there is something called molecular mimicry, which can lead to autoimmunity. And one of the things I'm, I'm seeing in VARES for years are autoimmune disorders out the yin-yang. And you're also hearing that from doctors. You're hearing about a lot of people's um, autoimmune conditions flaring up, for example. Uh, just, just, just to be clear, so I, I, I have not seen that in the in like the uh, the best system or the 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 VSD system not produce signals with that with that that signal they ha it has produced myocarditis signal that that's crystal clear that's probably the most important no multiple sclerosis I haven't seen that signal but I mean you know the the it could be it could be a small number of people and that be that's still quite unfortunate for the people that produces it and you wouldn't see it in the system in those systems but but it is one of these things where like. Um, you know, you have a new technology. I, 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 prudence would demand that you be very careful with it. It's not as if there weren't traditional vaccine technology that existed to introduce the spike protein that people wanted that 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 they, that they were saying would, was necessary in order to get the vac vaccination effect. You have here a new platform um, that had never been used for a vaccine at certainly at scale. And, uh, and, and you know, what, two, three years on, we're still learning about the features of it in, in a way that makes me think that we, we, you know, we don't, we don't really understand enough to recommend the use at scale. I mean, I can understand for some experimental use for small and small, small numbers of people just to see, especially for, you know, like, you know, but, but I, but I don't think that it was responsible to use this product at scale when there were alternative technologies available to produce the same kind of vaccination effect that people intended. No, it absolutely wasn't. It was irresponsible. And uh, yeah, there, there, there's a lot of suffering going on, I think, because of this. And it's, it's just, it's remarkable to me how, as the onion is peeling, the peer-reviewed papers are coming out now only after. And it, I mean, ooh, it's, it's really, really aggravating for me to think about a lot of like I just found out the other day that one of my really good friends he's he's been having severe back problems like uh, a neuropathy and I'm like 
I just found out that it started two days after a second shot, and I'm like, yeah, I mean that that neuropathy. Yeah, it's that that I, um, I've seen a lot of reports of that as well. Although I have to say, it's it's um, you know, most of them I think resolve, but who knows? Yeah. You know, why you why 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 have this? And a lot. Of, you know, the point is that we're still learning, right? Um, and uh, the, that kind of learning normally would take place over many many years on a much smaller scale. Uh, it always not, does. Not in the billions, right? Yeah. Conventional vaccines take about 10 years to get from concept to arm. It's it's not 10 months that these things, <laughs> it's, it's just, yeah. yeah. But anyway. <laughs> well, Jessica, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I've kept you for uh, uh, over an hour and I'm really, really grateful to you for, for agreeing to come on and explain uh, some of these, uh, these concepts. They're not, they're not easy, um, but they're really important to know, to understand uh, results like this. And I think the implications of the future are, are, are quite profound especially for this technology. I hope I did a good job and I hope that people have good images in their heads of how, uh, how our proteins are made and, and all that we <laughs> we'll are. Some, and... We'll put some links to the dance of the proteins in there, in there as well yeah, as the I'll, nature. I'll send paper. that video footage to you. It's so cool. It shows like active DNA and non-active DNA. It's very cool. Anyway. All right. Well, thank you everybody. This is, uh, this is Jay Bhattacharya signing off. Uh, Thank you uh, for joining me, Jessica Rose. Take care for the Illusion of Consensus podcast. Until next time. Adios.